Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hey, we're giving you our best work this summer. We are leaving nothing on the table. It's a good time to support us. It's easy to support us. Click the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. It costs you five bucks. It gets you ad-free podcasts. It instantly installs it on your device. Go do it. Tim Bousquet, editor of the Halifax Examiner, joining me from Halifax. Welcome back. Hey, good to be here, Jesse. Today we're going to talk about the totally normal testimony from Craig and Mark Kilberger at the Finance Committee yesterday. We're going to talk about some updates to uh, information around the April shooting in Nova Scotia. And finally, the Nazis are trying to start a colony in Canada. No, this is not a flashback to an episode of Commons. This is happening right now. Tim, glad to have you here. Good to be here, Jesse. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everyone by Carolyn Essence, Tanner Young, Hannah Purcell, Jessica Crawford, Abir Farhat, Natalie Gooding, Aurelia Talvela, and Jennifer. 
I'm Jennifer, a librarian living in Montreal. I support Canada Land because as a librarian, I think it's important to think critically about the media we consume. I would support it even more if you talked more about Quebec. My name is Mark Kilberger. I do swear that the evidence I shall give on this examination shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. 25 years ago, we started We Charity as teenagers because we believe that young people have much to offer through service. And we still hold this belief. There is a crisis in Canada's charitable sector. Over the past 30 years, Canada has seen steadily declining rates of civic engagement and reached a record low percentage of Canadians donating to charity. If, if a fraction of what we've heard over the past four weeks was true, published in media or shared on social blogs or shared even by various politicians, our face would go pale. Have you um, hired private and you or anyone acting on your behalf, including a law firm, ever hired a private investigators that may have looked into media personalities uh, like Mr. Jesse Brown or reporter Jaron Kerr? Sir, if, if I may say with due respect, you are reaching to the bottom of a barrel if Jesse Brown is now who you're quoting. They come across a little bit differently when they're not playing to an audience of 10-year-olds, don't they, Tim? A little defensive, eh? Tim, I speak we. I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> Can I translate a few things that I heard yesterday? Please do. Please do. And I want to note before we go any further, to We Charities lawyers and the various lawyers, to Peter Downard, uh, to Howard Winkler, who I know are listening to this, just for clarity's sake, gentlemen, uh, this is uh, Shortcuts. This isn't one of our news reports where I report new information. This is an analysis and opinion show. So this is uh, all what comes forward. Analysis, opinion. If I speculate, I'll let you know. Everything will be clearly labeled for your benefit. And, you know, while I'm talking to you guys, to Mr. Downard, uh, you know, really Peter, Peter, Howard, uh, and to anyone else who's helping uh, We Charity navigate their crisis communications, you know, you guys should pay up five bucks a month for Canada Land. I mean, we're, we're we're keeping you working this year. I mean, you're probably making more money than we are this year off of our journalism. And, you know, you guys are paid in charity money that, you know, kids did bake sales to earn. So, you know, I think at the very least you could give us five bucks a month. Uh, I won't tell anyone that you did it if you do. So pay up. Um, OK, with that said, here are a few things. And I want to I want to like set this up by first stating like Mark and Craig Kilberger said many times we are offering Parliament an unprecedented level of transparency and we're answering questions for four hours it's unprecedented and and they begin by swearing an oath to kick off this four hours of unprecedented testimony. Uh, Mr. Chair, thank you. Just because we are um, together for for uh, I believe a relatively unprecedented four hours together. And as Robin Urbach and others pointed out, that is simply not true. It's pretty routine for people to appear before parliamentary committee for long periods of time. Four hours is not unheard of at all. But even more to the point, Blacklock's reporter reported that the Kilbergers only wanted to appear for an hour and parliament ordered them to do four hours uh, under threat of subpoena. So... <laughs> Jeez. Then they show up and they say, we are we are offering you four hours of our time and they demand to be sworn in. Now, you don't have to be sworn in. The assumption is you're going to tell the truth and there are consequences for not telling the truth. Um, but I think they wanted that to be seen, that they're swearing an oath before they give their testimony. So I think that's relevant context that maybe not everybody knows. So then you get into the testimony, Tim. And, you know, one thing they said is that 
like initially, not at committee, if everybody remembers, the first thing they said when asked is, uh, we never paid the Trudeaus anything to speak at We Days. It was like a really comprehensive denial. No money, no honorariums to the Trudeaus. Then I get proof that demonstrates that that's not true. And I hold it in their face. I say, look, it's not true. Here is Margaret Trudeau not only getting paid, but getting paid by We Charity, not from your for-profit company, but by your charity. So the first thing they say is, oops, uh, that's a mistake. That was a billing or payment error uh, that, was, that should have been paid by our other entity. And, you know, we'll, we'll pay it back to the charity. And that shouldn't have happened. Then they've got some time and they get questioned about the same thing by Parliament. And now they've got a new answer. To be clear, in your in your previous uh, responses to questions, you did say that members of the Trudeau family were paid to attend We Day events. Sir, it was in the premise of We Day, but the purpose of the speakers and the remuneration of the speakers was specifically for the auxiliary events. Margaret Trudeau came to speak about the issue surrounding mental health. Yes, she spoke on the We Day stage, but she also provided time to come to the receptions, to have the opportunity to meet with individuals, to sign the books, to do all these additional events. And it was a very significant ask of her time. It turns out that Margaret and Sasha Trudeau were not paid to speak at We Day. Speaking at We Day, they explained, is a rare honor and privilege that, like, you don't have to pay somebody to speak at We Day. People are dying to speak at We Day and nobody gets paid. No, no. What Margaret Trudeau got paid for and Sasha... They got paid for like the other stuff, like the breakfast session beforehand, the mixer afterwards, meet and greets. That's what the payment was for. So, Tim, I have the invoice. Margaret Trudeau bills their charity for speaking fees. That's the budget item she's, she charges them for, speaking fees. And the bill is delivered by her speaking agency. And the date of the speaking event is the same date that she spoke at We Day. Yeah. And, you know, Jesse, it's a distinction without a difference anyway, even, even if it were true. It's something we see again and again. They will make a really grand pronouncement that's just a blanket statement that, you know, this is true or this is not true and this is the way it is. And only when you put like smoking gun evidence to the contrary in their face, they have some convoluted semantic rationalization or, you're, you know, they're using a different classification system than you might be. And that's what allowed them to make that comprehensive earlier assertion. Why did they tell the world that the Trudeaus were never paid to speak at We Days? Uh, because that's not what they were paid for. It was it was the coffee beforehand. And it was interesting to see these various MPs just get frustrated by this. It's like, you know, they've constructed this whole world of language, this we world that allows them to kind of maintain certain positions. And it didn't seem like they're used to having a challenge. Yeah. I just want to say... Can we back up a little bit and talk about this whole international development charity aspect of this? Sure. You know, we have places around the world that are not doing well, and yet they're rich in natural resources. There's hardworking people there. You know, it's they're poor, but they're poor not because some young person in Canada doesn't care enough about them. You know, they're poor because of the legacy of colonialism and imperialism, uh, neo-imperialism continuing, corporate exploitation, state intervention with the World Trade Organization, banks, sometimes even armies, you know, and there are solutions to this. Uh, we could forgive foreign debt. Uh, we can end or change these predatory international regimes. We can pay back all the loot we've stolen from them, you know? We could teach young Canadians about that, that history, about the ongoing exploitation. But instead, we tell young people it's all about them. 
It's their inherent worthiness as good Canadians that's going to save the world. So forget about politics, forget economics, you know, forget about restructuring the way the world works. You're going to save the world by being a good person. And it's not helping. As I think the point of your recent article asking what is it we does in the world, not a whole lot, apparently. You know, I think it's just the perfect neoliberal structure uh, to not change the world. I think that when the dust settles, you know, we're going to have to make sense of a lot of different things. And one of the things is, even if this were running the way that it's supposed to, there's still really big problems with the development model. And there's a philosophy that is a lot more popular than the one that you just put forward. There is a, a philosophy and I guess a way of thinking and being in Canada, which is to say, hey, we can't solve the problems of history. And one charity or one individual can't fix colonialism or post-colonialism. But when people are hungry, damn it, we can roll up our sleeves as good Canadians and, and uh, have a bake sale and raise some cash and, and, and feed those people. And why shouldn't we? And it doesn't have to be a political thing. We don't need to get into politics. We don't all agree on politics. Let's just do the obvious good work. And I think what this story is going to force us to contend with is whether that's a possible tenable position to hold when the application of that philosophy involves directing development work towards countries where you can safely run fun recreational vacations. You know, if that is something that development work is contingent on and you can only get extra donations if people are willing to go on a safari there or something, yeah. uh, you know, and the idea that our teenagers manual labor has value or worth to countries that need schools built. There's a lot of stuff that even if everything was absolutely a-okay, we could have, and it's overdue that we have a conversation about. Yeah, but people you in know, Kenya or Nigeria or wherever, they're perfectly capable of building their own schools. They don't need young people from Canada to go there and do that. The, you know, the thousands of dollars that um, are spent on those trips if, if this is simply a matter of getting money to people, a redistribution of wealth to places that need it, uh, you know, there's better uses of that money, arguably. But, you know, the practice of investigative reporting is such that we are still we're looking at the other part of this, which is like before we even get there, was everything OK? You know, and I'm going to return us back to this testimony, Tim. I want to sorry about that. That's OK. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, look, this is big and my mind is going to all different parts of it at different times. Um, and I don't think like nobody's got to follow my map of when we talk about what, you know, you know, this was a big deal. Like we, we've put interview requests to the Kilbergers over the years. They've never, ever agreed to an interview. And I've never heard them do like an actual serious interview with any journalist. So, you know, in my little world, this was like quite the thing to witness. And um, I'm going to go through a couple more things here. One thing that we saw at committee uh, the other day from the Kilbergers was uh, that the Kilbergers were like, I think, contending with a lot of questions from conservatives and NDP MPs. The point of the questions was to kind of demonstrate that, uh, you know, is we some sort of liberal party promotional tool? Why did Justin Trudeau get access to your stage from the beginning of his political career? And when money is going to members of his family, is this some sort of like a quid pro quo financial arrangement where you're like giving some politicians but not others this exposure and giving them other benefits and trips. And, you know, also you're seeing on Twitter people accusing we of being some sort of like a liberal party ideological indoctrination engine for, you know, young minds. It's like it's veering on conspiracy stuff. So the Kilbergers were really pushing 
uh, a different way of looking at this, which is to say, hey, we have numerous ties to conservative politicians. We've worked with all kinds of different uh, politicians. And Craig Kilberger name checked when challenged about that. Um, well, here are some of the great men that I've learned from in my work with we. And he mentions Tony Clement, which former MP Tony Clement. I'm not even going to touch that. Um, <laughs> only to say that after he did that, Tony Clement DM'd me and said, that was weird. I've met Craig once. I never thought of myself as his mentor. I don't know what that guy's talking about. One thing I definitely want to point out here, Tim, yeah. if I can go on, there's this moment where, you know, a lot of MPs were sort of baffled and frustrated. And a lot of the time was eaten up with them trying to kind of sort through this corporate structure of we, which is very confusing to the MPs and, and has been to me. And uh, the Kilbergers respond as they have to Canada. And when we used to ask them those questions, just very defensively and emotionally. So I'll give you an example. Conservative MP Pierre Polyevre is, is grilling them. How come it says here in your deal with the government that you can take this government money? It's like $43 million you're going to get of government money for administering this youth volunteer program and pay your private companies off with this money. And the Kilbergers are absolutely aghast they say as sir we are not paid by we charity and we have never been paid by we charity and this uh was established with uh the entity that pays us sir is me to we social enterprise which is not a party to this contract and polyevra is very frustrated he says me to we though is a subcontractor to this contract that is incorrect sir it me is right here it's right me to we foundation is listed in 18.4 as a subcontractor and me to we foundation of canada it's right there. So it's true. And they say, sir, that is inaccurate. None of our private business. They go back and forth like this. And I think that a lot of people could see this and just see the uh, the heat of this testy exchange and not get to the clarity of it. The clarity of it finally came at the end. Polyever says, look, it's right here. Right here is the list of the companies that you are going to be able to pay off. And it says right here, me to we. And the Kilbergers say, as per my statement, sir, Me to We Social Enterprise is what pays us. Me to We Social Enterprise was established. It is distinct and separate from Me to We Foundation, sir. Right. Me to We Foundation administers scholarships. Hard, hard, and hard to keep track. So that is exactly crystallized what we've been dealing with. They have over a dozen entities, and it goes back and forth between American, Canadian, for-profit, not-for-profit, charity, and it would be confusing even if they had totally different names, but they name them all similar or the same names. And then when you get it confused, they accuse you of, you know, you're calling a charity a business and uh, there's legal threats, there's emotional pleas, you're taking food out of the mouths of the starving when you say that. Yeah, the, the corporate structures uh, remind me of the most uh, predacious big corporations um, we just did a big story on on the the corporate family of of northern pulp that is declaring bankruptcy here and you know there's something like two dozen interrelated uh corporations and they do it precisely to to make it difficult to pin down who who owes who what and who's responsible i don't think of charities acting that way i don't even know why they need this for-profit wing i mean if you're a charity set up your charity ask corporations to give you the the services for free or, or at a reduced rate and, and write them a tax receipt. One question that's being asked is, you know, charities are restricted and things they can do. And a lot of charities, they uh, they deal with that by setting up a separate entity, a nonprofit, 
separate entity. And nonprofits are very easy to set up in Canada. They're not registered charities. They don't have the same oversight and the same regulations, but they're not for-profit companies. And the Kilbergers set up for-profit companies. But this is a shell game, a shell game of shell companies. You know, it's where is the ball? Where's the marble gone to? And, you know, we saw it kind of just again and again, like it gives them so much latitude when they wanted to give the lowest number possible of layoffs they constrain their answer to how many people we charity laid off, right? So there's a bigger number if you include their other entities. When they wanted to show that they have good governance, they combined the governance of their American and Canadian charities. So they have kind of just established this regime where I think it works within their organization because they're the bosses and it works when you're talking to kids, but I don't think it works with everybody, you know? Like I, these guys, it really seemed to me like they really feel like they're the smartest guys in the universe, and I don't know, Tim, you know, maybe they're right. You know, like Mark Kielberger went to Harvard. I didn't go to Harvard. I, I think he's probably smarter than me. But like, what can I tell you? I might not be as smart as him, but I know how to ask a question. And I'm not afraid of them. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Hey, Tim, we duly note stuff. What do you got? Can I promote myself here? <laughs> I think you absolutely should. I'm very much up my own arse in this story of we, but uh, not so much that I haven't noticed the amazing work you're doing. Uh, so please do, duly note yourself. So just uh, this week, we, we being the CBC and my team, have uh, published the final, the eighth and final episode of Uncover Dead Wrong. It's the Uncover podcast series, and it examines the wrongful conviction of Glenn Assoon here in Nova Scotia 
and all the parts of that, which include, shall we call, uh, questionable activity on the parts of both the Halifax Police and the RCMP here in Nova Scotia. Um, I've been working on this story for five and a half years now, and I'm still not done with it, but I think we told it in a comprehensive way that's uh, that hadn't been told before. Promotion for CBC Podcast. You heard it here on Canada Land Shortcuts. Tim's doing a great series with uh, with CBC Uncover. Uh, go check it out. Duly noted. Tim, I'd like to duly note um, some thoughts that Matt Gurney of the National Post shared on Twitter recently. He had this essay, and I'll read uh, the beginning, but not all of it. Matt writes, Well, okay. Some of you idiots are at it again, so I'm going to have to once again tweet out why your pet theory about why the mainstream media is struggling is wrong and you should feel shame. This wasn't how I wanted to spend the evening, but it's obviously needed. And what follows is uh, essentially a angry response to everybody who says, no wonder your industry is going under, you guys are fake news. No wonder your industry is going under, I don't read you anymore, I cancel my subscription. No wonder you guys are going under, you printed an article that I don't like, which is a thing that journalists always hate when people kind of cheer for our destruction. And there were layoffs last week, terrible ones actually, uh, at, at Global and and journalists get angry uh, and they say things like that. They call like the audience idiots. Like The message from Matt Gurney here is it's got nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with whether you like our product or not. This has to do with Google and Facebook and wider trends. Don't think you're so important. Your little theory and your politics don't matter. And I want to bring it up and note it, Tim, and I'm glad I can note it to you because we are in the news business the way that any business owner would operate in a business, which is you don't call your audience idiots, Yeah, you know, and you don't try to remove their will and their opinions and their consumer choices as even a consideration as to why your business might be failing or, or succeeding. And it's just, you know, Matt Gurney, uh, I think, you know, we could pick on him because he overstated things when so insulting, but I think he was definitely speaking for a lot of journalists who have brazen contempt for the audience that no longer trusts us and no longer patronizes us. Yeah. I think we have to like, we have to really think about that. Nobody else treats their audiences, their customers like this. Could you imagine a restaurant saying you stupid people, you don't know how good the food here is. <laughs> I think that you and I, Jesse have in our separate ways kind of demonstrated that there is a way forward. I mean, let's acknowledge that the, um, the business model of traditional news media over the past, you know, 70 years is broken and it's failing. Um, and to that extent, there's a bit of truth there. But, you know, you and I are both growing our organizations. I, I'm subscriptions for the Halifax Examiner are at our all time high. Uh, we're expanding. I've hired uh, more writers and about to hire more yet again. You know, we're getting attention uh, way beyond the borders of Nova Scotia, uh, it's possible to do this thing. And you do it by appealing to the reader. What is it you want, reader? Here's our take on this. Uh, please subscribe. And they do. Yeah. I think that the problem may have preceded the problem. The problem isn't Google or Facebook. The problem is that the news business model was built in such a way that the audience didn't really matter. That audience's attention was harvested through everything but the news and then sold 
to advertisers who mattered a lot more than individual readers. And that had an impact on news before this technological challenge. That's right. And maybe it's not just a method of survival to appeal directly to your audience and treat them with a bit more respect than that and actually sell them the product that you're interested in making, which is like accurate information that matters to the public. Maybe that's actually a better way of doing it, you know? But when does that stop being like an acceptable way to talk to our audience? And, and when do we like actually start trying to build an, an industry? I, I'm, I'm glad that you're building a business. I really am. And, and I'm glad that I, I'm building one. When can we start building the industry? Um, I think it's when we get over attitudes like that. Yeah, I, I really think, um, I mean, it, it is horrible. All these very good reporters and being laid off, losing their jobs, uh, losing their careers, really, because there's not a lot of alternatives. And, you know, I, I hate to say this, but until those dinosaurs go away, the, the little mammals coming up to replace them can't really fill the niche, you know. Mm -hmm. Duly noted. Tim, I was absolutely shocked to read that there was this decision in Nova Scotia to not hold a public inquiry into the mass shooting. That's right. Can you take me back to what, how, explain, please. Okay, so as you know, the this horrible event took place over two days, April 18th and April 19th. And, you know, during the event itself, questions were being raised about the RCMP involvement and in that the emergency alert system was not activated to warn people that this was going on. I understand the RCMP knew this guy was basically traveling all over the province killing people and they didn't issue an alert and more people died so questions were there from the start family members of the victims have been very active over three months went by and then last wednesday over 300 people uh, mostly family members of the victims actually marched on an rcmp detachment here in nova scotia demanding a public inquiry saying they wanted that and the very next day thursday the two governments provincial, federal, announced there would be a review, not an inquiry. And within hours, so, so this review would have no subpoena power, could not compel witnesses. It would all be done in private as opposed to inquiry, which, you know, has all those powers and is done in, in public. So within hours, the family members had issued a statement condemning this. There were Facebook groups, multiple Facebook groups, uh, online petitions with tens of thousands of people on it. Um, there were uh, demonstrations, large demonstrations in, in two or three different cities here in Nova Scotia uh, condemning that announcement. And then uh, last few days, the even the liberal MPs here reversed course and said, yeah, they wanted a public inquiry. So Bill Blair uh, announced just that. So that's how we got where we are now. I mean, prior to this news about there not being an inquiry, there being an inquiry, my understanding of this was that it was just piling up questions. How was he able to go on this rampage for so long? Why didn't the cops issue uh, an emergency alert? Why did they think he was contained when there was information to the contrary? You know, how was he able to get all these weapons and vehicles? Why did the cops have a shootout at this at this other place that locals yeah. were sheltering in? And then the questions expanded. What's his connection to the RCMP? Uh, was he a paid informant? McLean's was putting that out there. Yeah, I, I don't know about that, but I will say, you know, we interviewed a, a woman, a neighbor, former neighbor of the killer, 
who said, you know, I complained to the RCMP about this guy. I told the RCMP that he had illegal weapons and that he was abusing his girlfriend and they took no action. And then Monday, the court unsealed some documents that we've uh-huh. been working on. And so- And you were a part of that, right? You were part of the legal consortium of journalists that were asking for those documents to be unsealed. Yeah, we, we've been fighting this you know, for a couple of months now uh, to get these documents unsealed. And some of them were unsealed on Monday. And what we've learned is that on that Sunday, that fateful Sunday, just after the mass murder was ended, two different police forces. So Halifax police here in Halifax interviewed one person. We don't know who that person is. And the RCMP interviewed someone else somewhere outside of Halifax. And um, one of them said that the gunman had killed before and had burned bodies. And both of these people told police independently from each other, that the gunman had been running illegal weapons and drugs in from Maine to Nova Scotia. So, you know, that was bombshell. But the, the question that I have that comes from that is, you know, if two different people in different parts of the province knew this, how many other people knew about it? And were the RCMP ever notified? And if so, what did they do, if anything? And if not, how could they not know this? I, it just opens up a whole nother can of worms. Question after question, you know, why didn't they act on these early tip-offs? How did he die? What are the details of that encounter? The fact that with all those questions piling up, the next thing I hear is, oh, by the way, we're not going to have a public inquiry. We're not going to do everything we possibly can. And am I right in my understanding that the reason initially given was to spare the victim's families some kind of extra trauma? Were they? Were yeah, that, that's right. They said, uh, you know, we have this restorative process, meaning we're not going to further victimize these victims' families. Of course, they were demanding a public inquiry. So when this review panel was announced, which is not an inquiry, they said, you just victimized us by doing this uh, again. So it was 180 degrees from what they said. And the public is looking at all of this, right? And the natural question, not at all surprising, is... What are you hiding? It does smell of a cover-up more than it does just your usual bureaucratic incompetence or misreading of the atmosphere. Well, consider this, Jesse. Uh, Mark Fury is our justice minister here in Nova Scotia. He was, before he came into politics, he was an RCMP cop for 32 years and commander uh, for the last part of his career. Uh, Now he's the justice minister who has to deal with this review or inquiry into, in large part, the RCMP. The other half of that is Bill Blair, who, of course, was the former chief of police in Toronto. They both know how to protect police institutions. What's going to happen? And it seems like the public is representing their own damn selves. They've got the Halifax Examiner and they got Facebook and they're demanding that they're heard through those. Like, is the media standing up for the public's right to know? And are we going to find out what's going to happen? Well, you know, this review panel, the review panel named uh, three members, and they're all uh, connected to the Liberal Party in one way or the other. How they couldn't find a non-liberal, I don't know. But those three people are now the inquiry. So we'll see if there's public uh, trust into this process. You know, I'm assuming that they won't do much. Um, And so we're still doing our investigative work on this and are chasing down a ton of leads, let me tell you. And, you know, to the, the broader media credit, the Halifax Examiner is one of eight media organizations that's uh, applied to the court to get these search warrants unsealed. So, yeah, there's a lot of reporting going on. 
this is not just the story of one madman who did a horrible deed. It is that, but there's so much more. There's, there's a context to this. Part of it is misogyny, but there's also these subcultures of weapons and guns and how that interplays with official Nova Scotia and, and the RCMP. And I think we're going to end up telling a much more nuanced story than simple madman kills a bunch of people. And it's going to get quite dark. Tim, you uh, you sent a direct message to David Crosby, who produces the show, and this is what you said to him. I assume you want to talk about all things mass murder, but we also have Nazis. <laughs> yeah, um, we're not supposed to call them Nazis. We have far-right German extremists. Far-right Germanic extremists, some of them Holocaust deniers, part of a larger network founded by extreme right-winger Frank Eckhart, who is known as a Reichsburger someone who does not believe in Germany's post-war democracy or the legitimacy of the post-Nazi German state. But don't call them Nazis. And what do they want with Nova Scotia? What? 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 <laughs> well, to back up a little bit, uh, so there are this group of kind of doomsday Germans uh, thinking that the immigrants into Germany, into Europe, are destroying traditional European culture and so forth. Tim, which immigrants do they mean? I mean, I know that, uh, you know, back in my day, it was, uh, you know, Canadians like, uh, you know, Peaches and Gonzalez were some uh, Montreal hipsters who went to Berlin. Is Are those the immigrants that they're worried about? I assure you they are not. They are worried about the Arabs and the Africans who are coming into uh -huh. Europe. So, you know, they want to set up a colony here. And they've had some presence for a number of years and have been buying up a lot of property. Now, understand that there's long been a German presence in Cape Breton, which has nothing to do with these crazed right-wingers. So it's hard to separate the two groups. But doing a deep dive into their work, uh, especially this person called Andreas Pop and his sidekick, a woman, uh, Eva Herman, um, they've been pretty uh, explicit about their beliefs and about why they want to come to Cape Breton. They talk about, we still have Indians here which is problematic on its face. Um, Germans have a thing about Canadian indigenous people. There's like yeah. this weird industry and fetish going on, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. That dates back to the 20s uh, when there was a series of pop books in, in Germany celebrating the Native Americans, and it's become kind of a cultural stereotype for, for Germans. So they play on that, but and they say, well, well, we'll set up this colony in Canada, in Cape Breton. They're a Western culture. They like us. They don't have a lot of people as immigrants who aren't from European countries. So we fit in, you know, they have beer, they, they have cities, uh, but we can live in the countryside as back to the land people um, and wait out this apocalypse that's going to happen in Europe. We'll just wait it out. We can park our money in Canada. We can stay there and we can wait until whatever doomsday scenario happens in Germany, and then we can come back and claim what's rightfully our country. And they came here and it's like they're really doing it. There's like real estate companies selling off uh, parcels to Germans who feel this way. And then there's like there was a rift between them. And now there's rival Nazi-esque uh, real estate outfits in Nova Scotia. Yeah. And they had um, buy-in with you know, official Nova Scotia, former premier was was promoting their work. You know, business people, established business people or, or consult with them and so forth. I, I think 
maybe they were those people were a bit naive, uh, not understanding the full history of these people, but um, they played as well. Oh, well, it's too bad Canadian news is so boring. Tim, thank you. Hey, it's great to be here, Jesse. Listen, that's Canada Land Shortcuts, and it is uh, really easy to support us and get ad-free versions of our podcast. Click on the link in the show notes, and uh, you'll get an ad-free feed. It'll pop right onto your podcast app, 5 bucks Canadian a month, or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. You can email me with your thoughts about this show at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read what you send me. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. We're on Instagram at CanadaLandShow. Tim Bousquet, where can people find you and your publication? The easiest place is HalifaxExaminer.ca, or you can find me on Twitter, Tim underscore Bousquet, B-O-U-S-Q-U-E-T. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. If we didn't have enough problems, QAnon is now uh, gaining more of a foothold in Canada, and you can hear about that on Oppo. They go in-depth with an expert on the subject. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. Please support Canada Land. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.